United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Well, let's travel down to Latin America for a moment with Dr. Mary Speck, a senior expert for the Latin America program for the United States Institute of Peace. She was previously the executive director of the Western Hemisphere Drug Policy Commission, which is an independent bipartisan entity created by Congress to evaluate counter-narcotics policies in the Americas and also to provide practical recommendations on how to both reduce the availability of illicit drugs and also minimize the damage associated with drug trafficking. She's with the Latin America program for the USIP now, and she joined us, Dr. Mary Speck. Welcome back. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's talk about what has been going on with a, you know, we're focusing always on our own presidential election race here in the United States in November, but there's an inauguration of Guatemala's new president um, from January 15th, although this has finally happened now. He's faced some pretty huge challenges after being sworn in as Guatemala's president. Talk to us a little bit about the region in particular as to why there is relevance to the American voter. Well, Guatemala is the largest uh, economy and population in Central America. And of course, of course, it's also a major source of migration to the United States. It's a, um, statistically, it's actually a middle income uh, country, but it has vast inequality. And so the rural areas and many of the urban areas are very poor. And these are areas that, uh, where there's a lot of unemployment and a lot of despair, a lot of criminal violence. So it sends migrants to the United States, constantly streams of migrants to the United States. It's also a transit area for illicit drugs that come from South America toward the United States. So the problems of Guatemala end up on our doorstep. Um, It is vital to U.S. security. That's really important to get that perspective and, and, and the background there as well. And so this new president, what do we know about him and his policies? Well, he uh, he had a very troubled. It, it was it was a challenge for him to reach the presidency because there was a lot of opposition um, uh, on the part of the the establishment, so to speak, uh, against his presidency because he has made combating corruption the um, centerpiece of his campaign and now his government. Uh, he's a, a former diplomat, um, worked with with uh, in peace building uh, around the world. Um, uh, and he was also the son of a former president, the first democratically elected president that Guatemala had in the 1940s. So he, he's, but he's been a kind of outsider in Guatemalan politics, um, and he wasn't expected to win. And so uh, the outgoing government and the courts uh, mounted a campaign to try to prevent him from taking office. When you look at the, the the campaign against him to not be able to take office. I mean, the, the, there's been a delay then in his ability to be inaugurated. What has been the impact for that to happen? And how serious were these uh, efforts to derail his inauguration? Was it did it turn violent? Well, it didn't turn violent, but this was this is a country where uh, the judiciary has been uh, weaponized, so to speak, against. Um, uh, well, it was against Revolo, uh, against reformers in general. So it, there was there were uh, charges as soon as he won uh, in a or 
qualified for the second round. They immediately drummed up charges against his party, suspended his party, um, uh, charges against there were rumors that they were going to arrest his vice president. So this was a serious campaign to prevent him from taking office. Um, it, it failed uh, for two basic reasons. One, the U.S. just had a barrage of hundreds of sanctions against um, members of Congress and uh, members of the judiciary uh, who on um, accusations of, of corruption and of trying to uh, undermine democracy. Plus, and more importantly, I think, um, massive demonstrations in Guatemala, um, along with the basic opposition of, of, of members of the business community who didn't necessarily support Arevalo, but who didn't want instability in Guatemala. So when you look at that, especially the judiciary and, and where things are going, we are so used to discussions around about, you know, checks and balances and having these separate three equal branches of government in the United States. When it comes to judiciary in Guatemala, do they have a similar structure politically? Well, they do. Um, formally, it is an independent judiciary, and the uh, the attorney general has a great deal of independence and can, in fact, not be fired by the the president. So Arevalo will have the same attorney general who was out to get him, so to speak, um, in office as uh, as president. Now, it but it has been um, uh, it has been used for political purposes. Uh, the judiciary, uh, Guatemala, has gone back and forth from a very aggressively anti-corruption uh, judiciary um, under a UN-sponsored uh, special commission that was designed to. Uh, combat corruption in the country. And so they went against, they, they had a lot of high profile corruption investigations, including against the former president. Um, but now it's swung the other way. So unfortunately, what you have is a judiciary that um, is now widely discredited because it seems to be used more to get after political foes than to, to seek justice. There's a cycle of retaliatory prosecutions going on, which is very, uh, very disturbing and very dangerous. In his inauguration speech, he acknowledged the country's large indigenous population, I understand, citing, quote, historic debts that we must resolve. I understand that there about 40% of Guatemalans belong to one of about two dozen indigenous groups, and they are generally poor and have less access to services of all kinds. What was the meaning behind um, and how meaningful was it for him to address it this way? Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Revelo has a debt to the indigenous community. Um, they they spearheaded the. Um, this is a community that has been marginalized politically, socially, and economically for centuries. Um, but they actually did come out and spearheaded um, the protests to ensure that he could be inaugurated, um, take power. Uh, so he does have a political debt to them, but he's, I think, referring more generally to the debt that the entire society has to the, the indigenous people because the rates of poverty are are astonishing. Guatemala has the highest rates in, in many rural communities. The majority of of, of children um, are are malnourished, um, and this is in a country which, as I said, is a middle income country. It's had a fairly strong economy. Um, it has a uh, very wealthy upper classes and a large middle class, but the poverty in indigenous communities is at um, you know levels that we see in maybe sub-Saharan Africa. They're they're very extremely high for a country that is not among the poorest in the, in the world. 
And now how involved is the United States in um, in discussing what's happening? The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has issued a statement surrounding it, applauding the Guatemalan people for advancing the cause of democracy under challenging circumstances. And he went on to say, we also commend Guatemala's institutions, civil society and the internal excuse me, in the international community for safeguarding electoral integrity, voting systems, and processes. Obviously, all eyes are on our own elections about whether they are free and fair and universally accepted as so, even with, even with evidence to suggest that we do have and to confirm that we do have free and fair elections. What is the United States' involvement from here? Just watching and observing? Well, we we do uh, provide substantial aid to Central America. We have for a long time for the reasons I mentioned, um, because it's a source of migration and because it's also um, uh, these weak governments, um, unemployed people are, are, are used by by drug traffickers. Uh, it's, it's a major transit point. So we have a real interest and we so we have supported um sent aid to Central America under various programs, under various presidencies. Um, but in addition, Guatemala now is, there's a great deal of hope that a rebel can show that democracy actually works. In the rest of northern Central America, which is the poorest part of Central America and with the part that sends most migrants to the United States, democracy is not in very great shape. Um, in neighboring El Salvador, you have a president who re- is running for re-election despite con- uh, constitutional prohibitions and who has put tens of thousands of suspected gang members in jail without due process. Um, and in Honduras, you have a leftist government, which is increasingly unpopular, which has been engaged in heightened rhetoric, both against the United States and, and the press and civil society. So there is a lot at stake for in, in Guatemala. If Arevalo can succeed, and if he can succeed using democratic means as an institutionalist, as a moderate, he's very much a centrist. Um, then that could have implications for Central America and, frankly, for Latin America in general. Mm. So important to hear your perspective and to give us all the information we really need to be prepared on this conversation. Dr. Mary Speck, always a pleasure to lean on your expertise. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.